First Chronicles, chapter 28, and I'll be reading verses 9 through 20. As for you, Shlomo, my son, you know that God, the God of your fathers, serve him wholeheartedly and with a desire in your being. For Adonai searches all hearts and understands all the inclinations of people's thoughts. If you seek him, he will let himself be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. See now that he be found in you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. See now that Adonai has chosen you to build a house for a sanctuary. So be strong and do it. Then Devi gave Shlomo, his son, the designs for the hall, for the temple, its buildings, its supply areas, its upper rooms, its inside rooms, and the places for the ark cover. Also the designs for everything he had been given in the spirit. For the courtyards of the house of Adonai and for all the rooms surrounding it. And for the storehouses in the house of God. For the storehouses, for the holy articles. And for the areas set aside for the Kohanim and for the Levinim. For the work involved in the service of the house of Adonai and for all the articles needed for the service in the house of Adonai of the weights of gold needed for the gold items to be used for various purposes and the weights of silver needed for the silver items to be used for various purposes and the weights of gold needed for the gold menorahs the weight needed for each menorah and for its lamps and for the menorahs of silver the weight of silver needed for each menorah and for its lamps. According to the way each menorah was to be used, also the gold by weight for the tables of the showbread and for each table and silver for the tables made of silver, the gold for the pure gold forks, basins and jars and for the gold bowls by weight for each bowl. Also for the basins, also for the silver bowls by weight of each bowl, and for the incense altar, refined gold by weight, and gold by the design for the ch chariot, and the, for the caravim, with their wings that spread out to cover the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai. All this is in the writing, as Adonai with his hand on me, has given me good sense in working out these detailed plans. So then David said to Shalomo, his son, be strong, be bold, and do it. Don't be afraid or become discouraged, for Adonai, God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or abandon you until all the work for the service of the house of Adonai has been finished. See, there are the divisions of the Kohanim and the Leavim 
for all the service in the house of God, for each kind of work, you will have with you every man who is willing and skilled for every kind of service. Also the captains and all the people will be completely at your disposal. First of all, I just want to take a moment um, just to sort of touch on last week. Many of you were here last week, and I didn't get an opportunity to, to say anything. It wasn't that I was re- uh, prohibited from saying anything. It just didn't come up. So <laughs> um, I just wanted to just thank everybody that was here for the support that, that the congregation has shown to my family and I over the last three years, um, just the way you've taken our children in, our two at first, and then our three, and then our four. So you're consistent from two to four. I appreciate that, and it was just great. It was just a great event for me last week. Um, all the people, I had several friends from seminary here, and a few of them are here again this week. Some came back, and uh, some are here for the first time. So it was really neat to have, have the, some familiar faces in addition to the other familiar faces, and also my friend Peter, who was here. Oh, I don't know, you maybe you guys got to sense a little bit of just how much of a special guy he is, uh, and he's been a friend to me for many years, and just the fact that just kind of the way the confluence of things, the way they all came together. So, uh, but you just the, the, just the confluence of, of things where, you know, Peter has a long-standing relationship with Eitan. I'd met Eitan one time, but they go way back, and Peter goes way back with Chaim, uh, as well as, uh, as, well as um, Lee Cooperman. And so it's just kind of cool to have all those factors um, come together. So it was a really, really good, uh, good service. And then Chaim promptly left for two weeks. And so kind of on that note, I, I want us to pl- please remember Chaim and enjoy in your prayers because he needs a break. The guy has served week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. And uh, he goes away for two weeks, and you know, uh, he'll hear this. I'm not maligning him, but the guy's still answering emails, and he's making phone calls. Like, what are you doing? Just stop. So, so pr- pray for him in that respect. Today, actually, I saw it's his anniversary as well. Their anniversary is today, at least according to the, to the bulletin. So just remember, remember him in your prayers. Again, he, he went off and uh, asked me to speak here in his stead. And have you, ever, have you ever asked anybody to kind of do something for you, kind of do your bidding for you maybe, to go, uh, go, go you know, would you go to the store and see if they've got X or whatever? And, and somebody goes and they come back and they say, oh, they didn't have it. And you say, well, did you look, did you look in, the, in the such and such aisle? Yeah, I looked there. Well, did you look in the other aisle? Well, no, I didn't look there. Or, yeah, I looked there. They didn't have it there either. Well, did you ask somebody? Did, 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 they, did they say that if it, they have it at all, is it coming in? Can they order it? And you're like, I didn't ask all that stuff. <laughs> it's kind of frustrating because you're doing someone else's, someone else's work, you know. Um, many years ago, we had a home in Maryland where we were actually building a, 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 a bathroom. And I was kind of on the other side of this thing. Sometimes you're the one asking somebody, they come back, and you're like, well, why didn't you ask? They didn't, you, you know... Well, they said it was $10. Did you ask, what if you bought two? I mean, they didn't ask all this stuff, but what about when you're on the other side of it? I had this, this bathroom project going on, and this plumber, he did all this work at the house, and it was kind of ready for a, a toilet there. And he said, well, why don't you go down to the, the you know, Atlantic Plumbing and get, ask him for a toilet? I said, okay. You know, I, one thing I've decided early on in life, or not early on, I was working at a restaurant one time, and there was a leak in a bathroom, and someone, you know, I was working there, and I'll fix it. I realized I don't fix I'm not a plumber. You know, I mean, like, I, the screw's loose. <laughs> this geyser, I'm not kidding. A geyser came up, and I realized I'm not a plumber. So, uh, anyways, he sent me to the store. He said, you know, go there and tell them you want a Toto 
uh, drake. That's the brain. So you get a Toto model drake and get a round front, not an elongated front. That's what he told me. Some of you might think, think I'm speaking Hebrew here and some might know what I'm talking about. So I go to Atlantic Plumbing. I'm like, yeah, I walk in there and they, well, can I help you, sir? Yeah, I need a, a Toto Drake. I need the round front, mind you, not the elongated front. So get that straight, you know. And uh, so they say, that's fine. No problem. We got the Drake and we got the round front. Do you need a 12-inch uh, 12 12, 12 or 18-inch setback? I'm like, I don't know about a setback. I mean, we might set on. I'm not sure what we're going to. So it's just, I, I didn't know what he's talking about. It's frustrating. It was nerve-wracking. I remember another time we were actually doing more work on the house. We were building a, a full addition off of the back. And uh, I, I had to go to an architectural committee, you know, to do this. I, just, I needed to hire a contractor and put them in touch with the architectural committee. But, no, they sent me to go to the architectural committee first. Just go talk to them first. So I go there. The architectural guy says, yeah, just submit to us a, uh, an elevation sketch. That will kind of get us started, just some basic elevation sketches. And, again, I'm like... Elevation sketches, okay, uh, was that like a picture of the mountains or something, you know, or the birds and the clouds? It just, I felt completely inept and incapable and ill-prepared for, for kind of carrying out the task that somebody else was sending me on. Have anyone you ever felt that way before? Kind of overwhelmed with, with looking at a plan that, that's ahead of you? Um, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a personal problem you've got to deal with, and you realize all the intricacies and the tangled web that's involved, and how am I going to you know, peel back the layers of this thing, or maybe you're at work and you, you hear something they're talking about a project or a direction that the, that the, the company's going to go, and you start sort of putting two and two together, you realize, well, that's probably going to fall under my, my purview. That's something I'm going to have to be in charge of, and, and you're getting nervous because you know it's going to involve you. They're talking about something, and you're like, that's going to be me. How am I going to do that? How am I going to get that done? You ever been there before? I, I got that uh, feeling many times in seminary over the last three years, you know, we would get the, every semester, I mean the beginning, and not many times, every semester, at the beginning of the semester, we'd get a syllabus, and I would, you know, it's got all the things on there, if you, for those of you in seminary, you know, or remember back to school, it's got all the wonderful things, this is what you're going to, we're going to learn, this is our objectives, and, and don't turn me in, this is a staff member here, you know, these are the, the outcomes, and these are all the wonderful things you're going to be and know, and when you learn all this information, right, and I would say, yeah, 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 that's great, let me skip to the section I was most interested in, which is the course requirements. What am I going to have to do in order to get credit in this class? What are the projects? And without fail, just about every semester, I'm looking at that and just like, oh, man. You know, like, I don't want to go to the Denver Rescue Commission and spend the night there. There's no way I'm going to do that. And there's no way I'm going to, I have to go on a hospital visit with, with, with Chaim or somebody. And I don't know the first thing about that. And it, it just, it was without fail. I had that fear and trepidation of wondering how in the world I was going to accomplish these things in front of me. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to look at in our, in our text today. I think it's kind of the background of what's in uh, First Chronicles here in this section. And we see, um, and you probably were really enthralled with all those details that, that uh, we heard read here a little while ago. Um, you know, we see four times in, in this section David talking about this plan. He's recounting a plan that he says he gave us Solomon the plan for the, for the vestibule, the plan for all he had in mind, the plan for the golden chariot, the plan of all the works that, that God had told him. And then twice kind of bookend around there, right, right at the beginning or right at the ending, he tells him, you know, be strong, be courageous. You know, do, don't be afraid, don't, be, don't have any fear. And I read that and I'm thinking, I wonder why that is, you know. I, um, 
you know, when I got sent down to Atlantic Plumbing, my plumber didn't, you know, pull me aside and say, David, be of strong courage. You go in there, you order that Toto Drake. Don't you worry about it. Be courageous. The Lord will be with you. Don't you worry about it. Why does David do that here? Well, for one thing, we see a little bit later, which we didn't read today in, in chapter 29, we see that Solomon was, was inexperienced um, and did, maybe didn't know what he was doing. But beyond that, I mean, all that stuff that, that we, I made you struggle through, I'm you know, sorry to make you read that, you know, you know, struggling through that stuff. Did you see all that stuff? Now, the David Stern translation is a little different. Some of these other translations, you know, the, the gold bowls, the gold forks, this weight for that, that weight for that, all these kind of things. He starts off in verse 11. He says uh, that David gave his son Solomon the plan of the vestibule of the temple and its houses, its treasuries. You know, if I were Solomon, I'd have been like, oh, just a time out just a second. I don't mean to be rude or anything, but um, what exactly is a vestibule? You know, and what, is all those, what are all those bowls? I mean, you mentioned for this service, for that service. I mean, what kind of services are there going to be? And you mentioned weights. Are there different weights? And you mentioned silver and then forks or silver bowls and gold bowls. So, like, which is for what? I mean, can you kind of lay that out for me? I mean, I think that's kind of part of the reason that it was a bit uh, daunting because on the one hand, it was, it was David's plan. He knew the plan, right? God made it very clear to him, but Solomon was the one that was going to have to do all the work. And we've been talking... Um, since the town hall meeting about this theme of building. Chaim has mentioned this theme of building several times. And, you know, building, yes, in the sense of a physical building that we can do our ministry out of, but also building in terms of individually and corporately building on, on the spiritual unseen, unseen level as well. And I think when we look at, at where we've been as a congregation or as, as individuals even, and we look at where we are and we look at where we're going, sometimes the road looks... Uh, very long, very complex, maybe insurmountable. And when we're, when we're on that road and we're looking ahead, sometimes I think it's easy to say, you know, or to say, gosh, this seems like it's going pretty slow. Or maybe even not at all. Nothing's even happening. And um, I mentioned how uh, earlier how Jessica and I were looking to build an addition on our house one time. And as part of that, we had to submit detailed drawings. It wasn't like we could just go out there and start, you know, hammering wood together. We had to detail out exactly what's going to happen. And again, I didn't know how to do that, so I hired a, a contractor who did know what an elevation sketch was. It's not a, not a picture of the mountains. It's a, just a regular picture of, you know, from the ground, what it looks like. But he did elevation sketches. He did like six other pages of, of drawings, detailed drawings. I mean, like one page was the elevation sketch. One page was the framing sketch. It was the details of, you know, what wood was going to go where exactly, how many and all that, how far apart. One was, was showing what was going to be on the exterior of the building. One was showing what's on the interior. One was a full detailed page on electrical circuits. It was very exciting. You know, electrical circuits and how this is going to be wired, how that's going to be wired, the amperage, all this kind of stuff. And uh, one picture showed, like, there was a deck on the outside of the building, and it showed how the siding was going to cover it. Like, this piece was going to go this way, that one this way. It's going to tie in here, be attached with this size screw. I mean, it was cool. But man, it was a bit daunting for me because on the one hand, it was neat and everything. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm really in charge of all this stuff. I mean, I was the one that had to present it. I was the one that was going to have to know when, it was, when each stage was sort of completed and then pay the contractor accordingly. So it was quite a big daunting task in front of me. So actually, let's start with that, very f that first, those first pictures of, uh, I forgot the folder, you know, the ones, yeah, this one. You can turn, maybe turn some lights off so you can see the screen. This is a picture of our, the back of our, uh, House, actually, there's one right before that, I think. Maybe. Is there one before that? 
Here, this one. That's what, look, this is the first one. You threw the whole thing off me. This is like, I really needed to see this one. This, this was what was on the back of the house. So the day of construction, they were going to replace this with an actual, like, room. So the day of construction began, and then you can go to the next picture. Um, this is what, what happened. First day, very exciting. I didn't receive any phone calls when I was at work to, uh, from Jessica with much excitement about this. They just deconstruction, right? And then they started digging. And the next day they dug, and then they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and they dug. And then after they dug, they dug some more. And they dug a little trench. Let's go to the next picture. You might be able to see it. This is a trench they dug, which sort of outlines the, the foundation of what they were going to build, the perimeter. And they poured some concrete in there. And you can f- go to the next, next one. They poured that in there. Again, never, I never heard. I only saw this when I came home from work. Jessica wasn't calling me during the day. You should have seen. They were digging, and they, they poured concrete, and it was so... No, it's like there's nothing out there. It's just they pulled some stuff down, and they were digging. Guys with shovels and jackhammers, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And then finally, you can go to the next one. They, they, uh, there's the trench again. You can see they, how much digging. And this is by hand. This was not a machine. A bunch of, bunch of folks were digging. See the shovels there? And you can go to the next picture. Then they put these cinder blocks on there. And then inside the cinder blocks, they, guess what? They dug. No, they dug some more. (laughs) They kept digging. And they kept digging. And they were digging all this stuff out. And then, finally, this day came. I think the next one might be the one I'm thinking of. Let's see. No, do some more. Some more digging, just to show you how much. Yeah, the next day. I got a call this day. We have a room. All of a sudden. This was weeks after they started. But Jessica finally said, hey, we have a room. It was very exciting. But guess what? It was a long time before even we got buttoned up from there. If you go through some more pictures there, just, you know, they, they had to do this, and then they did inside stuff. And finally, it still wasn't, believe me, it took, if anyone's ever done a project like this, uh, even after all that digging and all that stuff, you're still a ways from, from finishing this thing. And there's dust everywhere and all kinds of stuff. You can go to the next picture. Sophia was watching. It was very exciting. You can see her at the window. She was about Levia's age, I think. In the next picture. No, and then there was wiring and all this stuff. We were far from being done. Even after that day that Jessica thought she saw something, like a room. We were very far away. And you can keep going. That's really the, you can keep going until you see the, the final one. All the exciting stuff. Again, the parts of building. There's a room. Maybe there's one more picture after that. There you go. There it's done. But boy, it was a long, long time uh, before that ever even became close to that. You ever feel like that around here? Maybe even in your own life? You know, set up again Friday night, break down again, take the trash out again, bring the hospitality table down again, take it upstairs again. When will we see something exciting? When will we, we at least see a room, right? You ever feel that way around here? I feel that way. I've entitled the message today, What It Takes to Serve the Lord. And when we read in verse 9 that the Lord chose Solomon for this work, if you're in this room today, I believe that God has chosen you also to do his work and to serve him. Maybe it's here at CYT, maybe it's somewhere else in the body of Messiah, but suffice it to say that there is some work to do, that God has chosen you, there's a plan, let's just accept that, and let's get on with it, shall we? So with this, with this scripture in mind, with, the, with these, this piece of scripture as our example, I want to look, spend the rest of our time looking at um, how, we should, how we should go about serving the Lord. And there are three main ideas that I believe God is telling us in this text on, on how we are to serve the Lord. And the first way is that we are to know the Lord. And the second way is that we are to serve the Lord. And the third way is that we are to have courage. So we're to know him, we're to serve him, we're to have courage when we do it. 
So starting off with knowing, what does it mean to know God? Um, that's a pretty, I think it's a pretty big question. And people have, there's Bible studies out there, big books, you know, knowing God, getting to know God, and everyone wants to know God. And, and that's a very, very multifaceted kind of endeavor, multifaceted question. Um, the Hebrew there is, is the word yada or da. It's an imperative. It's no God. He says it right there. It says no God. It's the same word you see, if you haven't noticed it before, in the front of our ark, when that blue cover's on there, there's a, there's a statement on there. I didn't note it for a long time, but it's very faint. And it says, basically, it says, know who it is b that you're standing in front of. You know? So know, know, know before whom you stand. So there's certainly an intellectual knowledge, but knowing God, know who it is. Know who it is you're standing before. Know who it is you're serving. So again, there's a very intellectual aspect to it. Um, and on that note, I just wanted to encourage you, uh, if, if that's, some, that's something that we all should, should uh, sort of um, ascend to, that we should seek to do, seek to know God on an intellectual level. You know, there's, there's a thing, uh, there's a field called apologetics. Some of you may have heard it's a big word, basically, just for being able to give a defense for what you believe in. And it can be something simple like, you know, why do you believe this is the Bible? You ever really had to sit down and someone says, oh, why do you believe that's the word of God? Why do you, believe, why do you think there's anything special about that book versus... The Iliad and the Odyssey or Greek mythology or something like that. So there's these kind of issues, being able to give evidence for God on an intellectual level. And there are lots of books out there that deal with these things. If you wanted to know any, you can t talk to me later, or I'm sure Dr. Dallaire knows some, or some other folks in this room, you know, books that deal with these, these standards, kind of intellectual things. Like, how can there be a God if there's evil in the world, and these kind of things. So knowing God from an intellectual standpoint. But there's more to it than that, because we read here that David says, to know the God of your father. And this brings up a second sort of aspect of knowing, which uh, I will call the T word, because sometimes it's very maligned. Anyone guess what the T word is? I'll give you a hint. Oh, I heard of it. Fiddler on the roof. Tradition. And I say it's often maligned because, oh, tradition, stodgy kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm going to read a little something for you from a commentary that I read, uh, a guy named... Dr. I.W. Slotke wrote a commentary on this section. He said, he talked about this idea of knowing in this, this verse. He said, by know, what is meant is the concept of God which results from inquiry and reasoning. That was the intellectual side that I mentioned. While the addition of your father implies a belief in tradition handed down from generation to generation. One should endeavor to arrive at the knowledge of God by rational processes aided by the influence of tradition. And again, that sometimes gets kind of often maligned, but I want to say that for those of you who are here in a Messianic congregation, it's a pretty good, pretty good way to know God. We know God by rehearsing tradition, the God of our Father, and so forth. And there's also good books that talk about these kind of things. Michael Brown talks about, you know, why Jewish people do certain things that they do. But tradition is a, another way to know God <clears throat> beyond the intellectual. And I want to read a few things that I, I, I wrote in the past about, um, about liturgy and so forth, because this is a very, you know, uh, liturgical environment that we're in here. Um, not litigious, liturgical. There's a difference between those two. Um, liturgical. Because sometimes we say, well, if this is tradition, how can it be very spiritual? We want to be spiritual. We don't want to just say prayers. We don't want to say rote prayers. So the descriptor spiritual carries with it a sense of unshackled freedom, emotions without boundaries, self-directed, impulsive, spontaneous. And then we look at the counterpart to that as being something that's a command within Judaism to engage in litur liturgy. We look at that as like the law. We look at it as cold and calculating, demanding of adherence, uniformity and structure. 
But as one author writes, I want to read to you, he said that law and spirit are helplessly intertwined, mutually dependent on one another. Without the body of law, spirituality is a ghost. Without the sweep of the soaring soul, the corpus of the law tends to become a corpse. The life of the spirit need not be chaotic and undisciplined. The life of the law, similarly, need not exclude the pulsing heart and soaring soul of the religious individual. In Judaism, each side, spirit and law, shows understanding for the other. We are not asked to choose one over the other, but to practice a proper balance that respects and reconciles the demands of each. And I'm going to read a further thing for you with a little bit of scriptural background. This is something from the Jerusalem Talmud, actually, where there was a discussion of this idea, the idea that we practice liturgy in a corporate environment specifically, specifically in a corporate environment, and how that helps us to know God and invite God into the, into the midst. One of the rabbis, I'll save you the names, says to the other rabbi, he says, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found, and that's from Isaiah 55. The question comes back to him, where may, these, these Talmud, by the way, these are these sort of back and forth conversations, they kind of meander, one person asks one question, another asks another, and another goes to another spot, and they kind of meander. So he says, where may he be found? And the other rabbi answers, in the synagogues and study halls. Call upon him when he is near. Where is he near? I said, in the synagogues and the study halls. <laughs> Moreover, it is, if, it is as if God stands next to those who are in the synagogues and study halls. So then the question comes, it says, what is the basis in Scripture for this view? What's the basis that we're saying that it, to know God requires us to interact on a, on a liturgical level, in a corporate setting? And the answer is given from Psalm 82, verse 1. It says, God has taken his place in the divine congregation in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. So that's just a little thing, again, on, on knowing God. So, again, knowing God from an intellectual standpoint as well as a tradition standpoint. First way to serve God. We're talking about how to serve God here, right? The second way that we serve God is the idea of serving God. We do it by service. It might seem a little bit, wait a minute, didn't you just say serve God by serving God? Yeah, I did. I said serve God by serving God. But it's worth repeating the simplicity of this statement. Now, the text here does not give us the, and this is all from, from verse 9. If you look, it says serve God. And he says, this is, this is not, uh, it doesn't give us the ins and outs of what to do necessarily. But there's a very vivid picture, which I think David Stern's translation actually uh, brought out pretty well. A very vivid picture of how we're to serve God. We serve God, right, by serving God, but how do we do it? <clears throat> And the translation that I had here says, and you can look at your translation. I'm curious which ones you have. But David tells Solomon in, in the version I have here to serve the Lord with single mind and willing heart. Single mind and willing heart. A few other translations I'll read. If you've got something vastly different, you can let me know. But he says you should serve God with a whole heart and a willing mind. Serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. You kind of like the willing mind, don't they? Serve him with a single mind and a willing heart. And then back to what we heard today from David Stern, serve him wholeheartedly and with desire in your being. Anyone have anything vastly different than that? I covered a lot of the major translations, so I doubt that you do. The Hebrews got two different, two different things here for the, the, we talked about the whole heart, willing mind, or any of those things I said. One of them basically is a heart of shalom. The word shalom is there. So to serve God with a heart of shalom. And if you've been at CYT, if you've ever thought about the word shalom, we realize it's not a very really simple word. Sure, it can be used as, hey, how you doing, shalom? 
Shalom Aleichem, Shalom to you. Uh, you know, Yesh Lecha Shalom, how are you doing, basically? Uh, it also can mean peace. We've talked about, and in, in, in Chaim's mentioned it many times, that it's really more than that. It's not, the, it's not peace just in the absence of war. It's not like, hey, you're doing okay in the absence of not doing okay. It's a much deeper full word. It's this idea of completeness and wholeness. And whatever that is, that's what you're to have in your heart, a whole heart, a heart of shalom. And the second part of this that's often translated willing mind, willing heart, is the word nefesh. Anyone heard the word nefesh before? Right in Genesis? This idea of a living being, the whole life, the life-giving power that's inside of you, that you're nefesh, your life. And it says here that you're to serve with a nefesh chafetzah, Sharon. Chafetz. What is it? Chapter 16, I think, isn't it in the book? 14, sorry. I'm sorry, I won't put your teachers here. I shouldn't put you. You know what it is, but I'll. This word chafetz, we're seeing it translated willing, but really it's desire, right? It's this idea of desire. I took this right out of your book. Where does it say here? Delight or desire. Delight or desire. This idea that you're to serve God with a whole, complete heart in the des- delight and desire of your entire being. I think that gets it across a little more than willing mind. You know, I, I'm married. I asked Jessica to marry me many years ago, in the year 2003, November, right before Thanksgiving. And I got down on one knee, and I won't give you all the details, but basically I asked her to marry me. Now, if she'd have said, yes, I will marry you, I am willing to marry you. I have a willing mind. I mean, I'd have been like, it's okay. I mean, she said yes, but it really wasn't what I was looking for, was it? You ask someone to marry you or someone's asking you to marry them, you hope there's a little more than they're just a willingness, right? You hope there's a desire of your whole being to be married to you. And that's what's being said here. And it's a tall, it's a tall order, and maybe it's easier said than done, but the stakes are very high. We see here that, that, uh, that David says if you do not seek God in this way with a, with a complete heart, in the very desire of your, of your nephesh, the very desire of your being, that the Lord will abandon you forever. It's pretty serious business. So the second point I wanted to make is we need to serve God with a complete and full heart and with the desire of our entire being. That's the second way we're to serve Lord. Number one, knowledge, know God intellectually by way of tradition. Number two, serve him with a whole complete heart and the desire, the very desire of your essence, of your very being. A tall order, I know. The final takeaway from this text on, on what it takes to serve God is that we do it with courage. And courage, I think, is, a, is an often misunderstood uh, concept if you just sort of blow by it. We think about someone courageous. We picture that firefighter rushing into the building and fearless, you know, Superman kind of per- personality. Complete fearless, you know, courage, courageous. But if you look at courage that way, you kind of miss a really big piece of what courage is all about. Because courage is very specific in that it's when you absolutely positively do fear and you feel fear and you feel uncertainty and you're unsure yet, you do it anyways. That's what courage is about. This last uh, school year, um, Sophie and Zachary, there's a school they attend one day a week, and there was a, uh, a talent show that was coming up. And uh, they had a little sign-up sheet, and Sophia you know, took the sign-up sheet, put Sophia Katz, talent, piano. And uh, that's kind of how we felt for a minute. We're like, huh, well, I mean, they, Sophie and Zachary have been learning piano. You know, they, they've been doing it now for about two years, then maybe a year and a half. Um, I don't know that I'd call it a talent yet at this point. 
but it was, you know, they've, they've been doing it. They have basic knowledge. They can play with two hands. It's pretty impressive to me. Um, well, the day of the talent show came, and we were going to go early to the school, right, to, to see the talent show with all the other kids, and uh, we got a call earlier in the afternoon. Sophia was not feeling well. And uh, we went to school, and one of the administrators actually worded it like this. She said, well, Sophia Katz either uh, has a terrible case of stage fright or the stomach flu. I mean, she was not looking good. She was not feeling good. She was going from color to white to color to white. I'm going to do it, not going to do it. I'm gonna, I, can't, I can't do it. I'll do it. I'm not going to do it. And she was so terrified. Jessica took her into the room where they had the piano and where they were gonna, everyone was going to be, and she sat her down, let her play her little piece, and you know, tried to c- calm her a bit, make her a little fam- familiar with it. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're sitting in the room like this, and everyone's going up and doing their pieces, and we're seeing on the order of the schedule when she's coming up, and it's coming, and she's not looking good. Again, she's looking white. She's looking rosy. She's looking pale, looking rosy. And Jessica you know, told her, she said, look, you can, you can do this or not do this. It's up to you. She said, but if you don't do it, I don't want to hear, you know, that you want to do it. Oh, I want to, you know, that's your, that's your chance. But if you do it, I know you're going to be happy that you did it. And uh, the moment came, and Sophia Katz, piano, she, she marched up to the piano. She hammered out her piece, and she took her applause, <laughs> and she sat down. And, uh, you know, obviously as a, as a uh, father, I was very proud of her for doing that, and, but also just knowing that she was so much better off for having faced her fears. And again, that's what courage is all about. It's about feeling your fear and and doing it anyways. But the other sort of side of courage is not just the the physical aspect. It's absolutely necessary that when we take courage in building something or acting or doing something, there's a physical, you've got to do it or take a step or take an action. But there is a, a definitive spiritual side to courage as well. As David tells Solomon in this passage, he says, Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the Lord is finished. And you read that very strong at the end. I appreciate that because that's a very powerful point. And as one commentator noted, he said, As David's charge implies, to be strong, biblically speaking, is to be steadfastly committed to seeking God, obeying him, and faithfully carrying out his work. So, the third thing here is we need to, we need to again, know God with our, with our minds, we need to know God from a traditional standpoint, from how people have worshipped him in the past. We need, to, we need to serve God with a complete heart, with the full desire and delight of our entire being. And we need to do it with courage. So is, is God involved with the work here at CYT? It's a question I have for you. Yeah, here's some more is. Well, you know, that's ultimately for God to know, but it is for us to judge, Right? And after nearly two and a half decades of existence as a congregation, I would say a resounding yes, regardless of what we th- see, where we think we want to be, where we're going. I would say God is at work here. And then the question is, if you're in agreement with me on that, the question is, uh, what's your plan here? What is it that you're supposed to do here? And I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that God is the planner. And if we know him and we serve him and we have courage, that he's going to provide the, the provisions and the power that plan to be accomplished and it might seem like a tremendously daunting task with all kinds of details that we don't know how they're going to work out and it might look like nothing's happened it might look like we're just digging a trench and we're just digging a foundation or digging a crawl space but 
we need to get involved in serving him with courage. We need to ask what, what, what Floyd asked before. What, you know, he asked a few weeks ago, Floyd said, ask God what your part is and what your part here is. And that's between you and God. But then when you find that out, you do it. You get involved with serving him with courage, a fullness of heart and the desire of your entire being. And I've said that several times, but I want to, we can hit the lights again. I want to show a few more pictures here because I, I put these in words, but um, it might be difficult. I want to show you a few pictures of what that might not look like at first, okay? So a few pictures first of what that doesn't look like, what it doesn't look like to serve God with courage and with the full desire of your entire being. And I picture a Humpty Dumpty here on a fence. I think it's Humpty Dumpty or some of the ladies, a ping pong ball with legs and arms. I'm not sure. Uh, but he's on the fence, right? This is not what that looks like. This is not what I've been describing, okay? So if you're wondering what it does look like, know that it doesn't look like this. Being on the fence is an uncomfortable position. It's a precarious position. You could get hurt. One day you're for God. One day you're not for God. One day you're going to serve Him. One day you're excited. One day you're not. Oh, we see a room. I'm excited. I don't mean to pick on my wife, you know. But you know what? doesn't matter. We might be a long ways away from the room to the finished room, right? So not being on the fence. Next picture. These are all kind of in the same idea. This is, a, this is a squirrel with his belly on top of the fence rail and uh, not going anywhere, really. Maybe he's just chilling. I don't know. Maybe people are staring at him, but the point is not getting anywhere very fast. Next one. It's a cow right in the middle of the fence, not on one side. Not, now, not only is this cow not going anywhere, this is going to cause some work for somebody else, you know? If you're this cow, we don't, we don't want to have to get, get your big cowness off the fence, you know? Pick a side, you know? Pick a side. Next picture. It's a car straddling the guardrail. Not what cars are designed to do, are, are they? And I don't think we're designed to straddle the guardrail either, you know? Again, this is, this is causing someone some headache. This is going to cause some work. They're going to have to call out crews to get this car off of there. It's going to cost somebody some money. Don't be the car on the, fen- on the, on the guardrail. Let's go to the next picture, which is getting there. Now, this is, I was torn with this picture because this is testing the water, putting your little toe in the water, just kind of testing. Okay, I'll give you that at first. That's fine. You know, we all have to start somewhere, and it's good. You know, test the water. Maybe that's, you know, you're, you're shopping around for a congregation or you're looking at different ministries. Maybe you sit in with Bronwyn, watch how she does Shabbat school or watch what happens with the hospitality table or anything that goes on around here, and you get involved a little tiny bit. And that's a good, you know, come to a, a membership class or something like that. Fine. But then take the next step, which is this one. This is a little girl on a diving board. She's got her full, you know, full piece suit on, her swim goggles, her cap, and she's getting ready. You know, sure, have some fear, have some trepidation. That's what courage is about. But get yourself ready. Get prepared. But don't stop there. Ultimately, what you want to do is let everything else go. Be courageous and just jump in with your whole being, leave, leaving everything else behind. There's no turning back at that point, is there? Right? And my charge, you can leave that up. My charge for you today is that you would commit to building according to the Lord's plans, that you would do it with the full knowledge of God, with a complete heart, with the desire of your entire being, and you would do it with courage. And then my prayer is that if we were to do that and we were to look back one day and see what God has done, that we would rejoice as David did uh, in chapter 29 a little bit further. Because after he made this, this statement to Solomon, you know, you read on further, David put his own stuff into the plan. He put his own skin in the game, if you will, and, 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 and kind of encouraged everyone else to do so. And they did. The outpouring was tremendous. And at that point, David then turned around and said this prayer, which is actually part of the Jewish liturgy, by the way, also. It's in the Siddur, the prayer book. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, 
or our Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted and head, or exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. And I'm not saying that we don't say those kind of praises here. We don't say that, but I say I, I just want to say that I pray that as each one of us seeks to know God and to serve him and to have courage, that the results would, that we see here at CYT would cause us to, to say this prayer and praise to God as well. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for David. We thank you for what you want to do in all of our lives. We pray that we could be courageous, Lord, and give you ourselves with all our heart.